0: Jason Love may be one of the most driven, successful, yet understated people on the planet. He shares some of his background in his book, Louisiana Slim, The Family. But with this book, you're just adding author to your list of accomplishments. I mean, tell us what else you're doing to keep busy. Uh,
1: Actor, social media influencer, model, all kind of stuff like
0: that. How long you been doing that?
1: Oh, 10 years.
0: You're lucky and you make your living in the entertainment field.
1: Yes, very hefty. Yes.
0: Good for you. How long have you been writing?
1: I've been writing for about a year and a half. I probably have five books done, but only this is the first one I published.
0: In a year and a half, you wrote five books? That is correct. Wow, that's ambitious. Did you ever write before?
1: Well, I was very studious. So I always like reading and writing. Ever since I was adolescent. But
0: what suddenly made you decide to write five books in a year and a half? That's a lot.
1: Oh, I guess uh, I I did well in life, and I I had a lot of time on my hands, as I do now.
0: Is there anything from your life in this book? Uh, It was
1: like a facet of life in the youth. You know, coming up in a poverty environment, you attempt to attain finances the best way you can.
0: So you were like your character, Louisiana Slim, you were raised in poverty?
1: Yes, that is correct.
0: And you drew on those experiences.
1: Yes, exactly. And the experiences around me.
0: All right. Tell me more.
1: Um, the book is about a young man from a poor environment that was rather intelligent, but took a route because of his, I guess upbringing and, I guess, inability to, to attain finances, he started to dabble into what one would call the street affairs and gathered a group of people and brought them in and, you know, made a hefty living off of it. It takes place in Louisiana. He develops like how they call it an illegal business, you know, selling, you know, narcotics on the streets um, using mathematics to, you know, increase the profit from the sales and everything and and taking that and helping people in within the city who are also, you know, poverty and helping helping the society grow while doing these things that are considered bad. There are multiple characters in the book. Um they have characters that people like and characters that people will dislike, characters that people find funny because it's like It's FMB, it's like a family. So each person plays a different role within that organization. So we have Tila in the book. She's um, kind of like Louisiana Slim's love interest. She starts off as just being a worker and develops into the love interest. And uh, She is like the face of the organization because Slim doesn't wanna be known by anyone
0: a worker you mean she's on the streets selling narcotics
1: yes that is that is correct the the bad guy would be chrisville chrisville is also a uh, a drug dealer in the book and he is kind of like a a scumbucket. like he is the one that like for example he's how would we call him conniving like he does anything to get ahead and he um, attempts to, you know, like, I guess, rob Slim and different things. Throughout the book, he's always doing something, something quarry. So, Chrisville, he, um, he tries to set up Slim by going to the houses where Slim has the, the narcotics and attempts to steal it, being malicious, trying to, you know, make money at, at all costs. Slim finds out about it because Chrisville doesn't know that Slim is the guy. He assumes that it's Tila. So when he's asking about where Tila hides the merchandise, he's really talking to Slim about his own merchandise. So he knows the entire time. When uh when Chrisville goes to attempt to take this merchandise, um Slim has the guys from the organization. Meet him there, and it well, and they then they follow him home and finds out where he has his narcotics, and then that's when you know all of the ruckus begins to happen.
0: All right, but ultimately, Slim is a criminal who gives back. How so?
1: Okay, so like he's he's like helping organizations around the city. Like he's um he's building like civic centers. He's he's redoing parks. He's he's helping people. You know people that can't pay their light bills and different things like that. Kind of like taking a lot of the money and being charitable with it.
0: Is he tied up with any of the politicians in Louisiana? Yes, he is. What would a book from Louisiana be without a little political action in there, little corruption? Exactly, you
1: have to sprinkle <laughs> that within it.
0: <laughs> that sounds terrible <laughs> right <laughs> but all that all that gritty like the big easy like uh, you know any gritty book that you you know the mobsters that have come out of louisiana like there's always that connection i kind of feel bad for louisiana but i guess it makes for some some great reading
1: it, it, it definitely does and then
0: and it's, it's almost to be expected yeah but you say there is a message here right
1: there is definitely a message in it so basically when you when you read this you'll You'll get a lot of insight about, you know, about working hard and being consistent and being kind at the same time, no matter what you're doing. Um, And then it also showed that, um, you know, every, you know, monetary gain is not a good monetary gain, but that still does not have to stop you from being a good person. And, uh, you know, I guess it shows, you know, consequences and, and repercussions to every situation.
0: I got to know, where'd you get the name Louisiana Slim?
1: They called me Slim because I was very skinny. And I'm from Louisiana.
0: Well, there you go. So, so where do you leave us at the end of this book?
1: Oh, it's definitely a like the cliffhanger. They're going to be like waiting to see what happens next to So more to come. It's definitely going to be part of a series. I've written part two already. When I saw the traction that I was getting from this one, I wrote part two.
0: How are you getting traction?
1: I talk about it on Instagram and TikTok here and there. And I uh, tend to put it in my story a lot. Or anytime I'm live or anything, I talk about it. That's how I, um, how I get the traction to it. Like, for example, if I'm on a um like maybe a, a streamer's live stream or if I'm in an interview for for myself for my work, if I'm in any type of interview, I bring the books with me, and um you know I'll give like the interviewer a signed copy, or sometimes the interviewer read a page or two from it uh, to the live stream, and live streams have like you know 30, 40, fifty thousand people in it, and I guess that's how they then go in uh, attempt to purchase. All
0: right, and we find you where.
1: Uh, my social media handle and everything is I am Jason Love.
0: I just, uh, I am Jason Love to you. And um, your Instagram is amazing.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: You have 672,000 followers. <laughs> you I, have fashion. You have fitness. Mm-hmm. You have your book. You have collaborations. You have cook, cooking with love.
1: <laughs> hey, I, you
0: have travel.
1: I do a lot of things. That's what I was telling you. Well, I was too modest. Yeah, you're
0: pretty modest. And basically, you're a social media influencer.
1: Yes, that is correct. All
0: right. And that's why you're getting interviewed. That's why you're getting all this attention.
1: Yes, that is correct.
0: All righty. And you are a man of few words.
1: That's just how I am. I'm more of a thinker. I find words are the most powerful thing that you have in this world. So I try not to waste as many. So I use the ones necessary.
0: All right. Well, listen, thank you. And um, good luck with your book
1: thank you ever so much.
0: Randall Hoover might be the last guy you'd ever expect to write a sci-fi novel entitled The Ghost of Nakagosku, for one, because of the work he does for some of America's largest defense contractors. Well, I've been a uh, proposal manager, which means I do technical writing for government
2: contracts. So I'm I'm not afraid of, of writing. I've been writing for, you know, 25 years or, or more of government work and, uh, Back in college, I used to write term papers for beer and money, and so, so yeah, been kind of uh, writing uh, for for a long time. In fact, some of the uh, some of the owners of very large companies in this town uh, used to knock on my dorm. That's uh, sort of the genesis of my uh, my writing career. Although in between college and and then becoming a proposal manager, I did spend 20 years in the Marine Corps. So. I I try to put that flavor into the setting
0: of my books. So is this book based on an experience that you had? Well,
2: it it does have elements of my experience. The main character is a a young United States Marine. Uh, I spent many years in Japan, so I found it to be extremely interesting. So I've tried to combine the elements of the Marine Corps and a Marine, American Marine being in Japan. So it is a combination of uh, some of my life experiences. The main character, uh, name is Artemis Jones. And uh, and he was stationed on Okinawa. The culture is new to him. He's a sergeant, he hasn't been in the military that long, so even the military itself is kind of a learning experience for him. And uh, instead of living on base, he's uh, given the opportunity to move off base, which is, you know, in a Japanese culture, kind of a fascinating thing to do because it, there's a whole new set of circumstances that come around when you're not living on base in a barracks, you're moved off base and living in the Japanese economy. And because he doesn't have a lot of money, he's a sergeant, he, he ends up with a, a, an old house that was converted from like a garden shed into a house. And, you know, somebody took ownership of it, put some paint on it and said, okay, let's rent it to an American. And so um, this is where he encounters uh, a 600-year-old Japanese ghost. And uh, because the ghost already lives there <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and sort of resents his, his being in the, in the house. And uh, this is not just a normal ghost. The ghost is uh, in, in Japan. They have seven different types of ghosts, and uh, this is a urai, which is uh, basically it's a ghost born of you know like uh, some kind of a revenge. And so this this ghost has a revenge against something, and uh, and as it turns out, uh, their their lives sort of intertwine, and uh, eventually they. Uh, they They do end up uh you know communicating with one another and uh and that's where the story goes uh I mean, who wouldn't like to communicate with the supernatural right i do yeah, I do. and uh, everybody it's everybody's kind of fantasy, but it uh, but you know we we keep it in a plausible way I mean, you know what would a a ghost in in a in a young man Communicate about, and so you know, especially if they're from different cultures and don't speak the same language. So it, it you know, it's that that whole cultural difference, uh, as well as you know, one 600 years older than the other, uh, and so it, it becomes kind of a, you know, kind of a, I I think a, a fun read. It's not War and Peace. It's just sort of a fun read uh, where your your the reader is taken. I consider. Every book I read, takes it's like a vacation. It takes me to a new setting, a new place, and a new experience. And so I've tried to take the reader to, okay, uh, here's what the Marines like if it's not like war. I mean, this wasn't about a Marine at war. This is about, you know, what we do on base when when we're not at war. And uh, and so in uh, and, and how they live and the, the little day-to-day, you know, trials and tribulations that uh, that are, exist in the military, But unless you've been in the military or the Marine Corps specifically, you wouldn't have any idea. So it's, it's kind of a set, it's kind of a setting in itself. Right. And if you've never been to Japan or Okinawa, which is part of Japan uh, where this story takes place, it also gives you a flavor of, of what it's like to be on Okinawa and the young Marine learning about the, the differences in their cultures and so on and so forth.
0: So, is there any conflict in the book? Do they face a common enemy? Can this ghost see what he's doing day to day?
2: As a, as a, well, as a matter of fact, there, there is a conflict. That's why the, uh, the ghost is a vengeful ghost who, uh, who starts out, uh, you know, taking revenge on uh, some of, uh, I guess, the, the people that are in the district where the ghost lives. Uh, the ghost uh, feels it's their mission to protect this area. And, of course, that happens to be the area where this little house is. And so the police get interested by proximity in this new resident. And so the police are interested in this young sergeant as a possible suspect. Uh, and, of course, it's the because the ghost that lives in this house, you know, it's that general area where things are occurring. So, the, yeah, they, they become entwined in a with a. Yakuza type mystery. And, uh, and so that's, that's interesting. You know, that's, that's the mafia of Japan. So they're the, the, the bad guys, so to speak. Oh. And, uh, and so it, uh, and so it gives a a little flavor of, of, well, anybody that's ever been to upstate New York knows about, uh, you know, okay, the mafia, you know, I'm from an Italian town up there. 80% of everybody pretends they're you know, descended from <laughs> <laughs> Somebody that was a, an organized crime. Uh, yeah, some of them may be, but, uh, yeah, you don't you don't ever doubt them. But, um,
0: so tell me about Nakagusku. Nakagusku is a castle
2: in Okinawa, Japan. And so because it's a castle, and uh, that's where the ghost grew up in that castle, and, uh, and it, the setting takes place right next to that castle. And I've seen it. I, I've run by there when I was... Uh, in the Marine Corps. I used to, it was one of my favorite running courses. Wow. So I, uh, and so I, you know, I describe it, uh, it. That has some unique aspects. They, uh, uh, just to give you a, a, a flavor of one of those aspects, the the road to the hill where Nakagosu Castle is, has telephone poles with spiders in between the wires. The spiders are as big as dinner plates and there's thousands of them no. and they're, and they're just, 10 feet above your head because that's where the you know and when you run up it I mean you know what you could see a little spider maybe not be afraid but when you see one of the size of a dinner plate and there's yeah. thousands of them just floating in the webs uh, shortly a little ways above your head they're the only place in the world I've ever seen these huge spiders like that and it uh yeah it kind of it kind of makes your stomach kind of <laughs>
0: that's kind <laughs> of cool scary like. right there forget about the ghost <laughs>
2: Yeah, it it is. And, uh, and you know, and so, you know, the, the whole, the whole book really talks about either discovering new things, overcoming your fears or your reluctance and things like that. And it's not, uh, again, it's, it's not war and peace, but it's kind of a, you know, like a slice of life. I've, 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 I've established it over a one year period of time because typically when a Marine gets stationed somewhere, it's for one year at a time. So right. I've, I've taken that, that's that slice of time. And, uh, to, to give you know the, the reader a, a flavor of uh of where it is anyway i i like writing and sometimes i like reading too and in fact i this is part of the reasons why i haven't published more is i it has to meet my own standard before i will you know and i i guess i i have a very demanding standard obviously it, sometimes i if i if i read a book that you know i've read two chapters this is Crap, but I put it down, you know, I, I get mad. Now, I won't write one like that. And so it has to be something that uh, I myself would enjoy reading. Although now that I've read it so many times through proofreading and stuff like that, <laughs> okay. I know that that's I've kind of read it to death. But, uh, but it's a, you know, I try to make a fun story, a, a fun read. Uh, All right. Myself, I like to read detective novels. So I, and, uh, but uh, I like to write science fiction because I don't want to write the same thing that I read I I, I want to guard against that I don't want to accidentally take somebody else's idea right in fact uh i was right <laughs> i was about three chapters into a book when they made the movie avatar and i said well darn that's my idea oh jeez
0: they took it Ghosts were reading your mind that's what i think happened <laughs>
2: well, <laughs> it, well yeah well that's yeah it's uh, yeah, it, uh yeah, it name, james cameron was i guess, I guess. So whoever wrote that whoever wrote the, the story behind avatar but uh so i says well okay and uh that was just you know not that I, I it wasn't that original it was something similar though it was similar enough more that I thought that you know it would sound like you know was right. just stealing the man's idea right. and uh, I just I couldn't do that not not in good conscience. So there's more books, right? I've probably started seven or eight books over the last ten years. Wow! And so this is this one, as I developed the book, it kept seeming interesting to me. In fact, once it seems interesting, I just let it go to the next step. Well, what else would be interesting? Or what would, you know, where does this story go? Sometimes they write themselves. Uh, In in this case, uh, it did kind of write itself as I sat down and I would think about a, say a what if situation Mm
0: -hmm.
2: or a, what is the path not taken? And uh, I'll, if I see something that I like or that I think is funny, I'll say, well, what if this happened instead? And sometimes it just catches, it, it amuses me. And so I'll say, well, then what would be the next step? And from there, what's the step after that? And, and then if a, if a story starts to emerge, I will, uh, you know, I'll, 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 you know, start working with it. And, uh, and that's really where this story came from is a kind of a what-if scenario. So I'll just start with an event. Uh, and then step by step just sort of build it, uh, I'll take it chapter by chapter. Uh, I, I find that for creative writing, the outline, other than maybe a, a skeletal outline, and I'm talking about, okay, you know, where are you going to take it, so I'll put down notional, uh, you know, chapter headings and sometimes they don't even work out because the story takes a, a like a left turn before it gets to that heading but but you know i'll I'll, I'll set out a notional goal for it uh, but i find if i get too detailed because i've tried that and it just again it made it sound kind of dry and uninteresting right. and so i just said well you know let's just just take it where where the imagination will go and i guess because i, I try to write science fiction or plausible science fiction is what i like to call it uh, I like to ask the reader to accept just one thing as being true. And in this case, that ghosts exist, and already probably half the world believes they do. Uh, and if that's the case, then what is what could logically happen from there? You know, I don't expect superpowers to develop or anything like that. It always frustrates me when I see some brand new thing emerge in the middle of a, a novel that uh, that wasn't there. Just one thing, uh, you know, you know, if I was to pick, uh, you know, like uh, invisibility, if that were true, I wouldn't, you know, develop new things. I would just, you know, say, okay, what are the plausible? And I've I've seen some very good movies and, and books that that describe some of the problems you'd have if you were invisible. Right, right, right. right. So and so uh, and so, I, I think that you know, I just try uh, a plausible thing that uh, someone would believe, and then uh, from there,
0: uh, I like to see where it goes. And uh, sometimes it goes pretty well, sometimes it doesn't. But uh, well, you won't know if you don't try, right? What a process. Well, listen, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Okay, great. Your book sounds really good. It sounds really interesting. Those spiders, though, boy. Mm.
2: Well, yeah, that is that is, uh, that is uh, a little part of it, and uh, there, there's there's a, a number of of interesting uh, things that happen in the book that uh, you know will make you smile if you read it. And, you know, eventually this may become a, a retirement plan for me, but uh, you know, for now I just kind of like to see if I could have a little bit of success with it. Well, I sure hope
0: you do. Okay, bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye bye bye. A member of the federal workforce for almost four decades, the title of Jorge y Ponce's book really says it all. Examining the past to understand the present, the journey of a Cuban-American refugee and what led to his conversion from Democrat to Republican. Jorge, you say you are not alone in your defection.
3: I think that that is uh, happening a lot for the simple reason that... uh, Today's Democrats are different than uh, past Democrats today's today's Democrats uh, have a socialist um, ideology uh, and uh, and therefore uh, most Americans uh, when they go to the voting booth in 2024 most likely will only have... One alternative uh, to choose from uh, and that would be the uh, the republicans okay that is that is if they want to make their vote count. I'm sure there will be some independence, but uh, seriously, they only have uh, they only have one choice if if they don't like uh, what's happening in the country right now. So I divided the book into five. Part. Part five uh, has uh, 60 handpicked articles written about all subjects that have moved my soul. And, and that includes politics. But in addition to politics, uh, I've written about topics uh, like civil rights, uh, philosophy, religion, uh, Hispanic representation in the federal workforce. So anything that moves my mojo. Uh, the uh, I had two uh, inspirations uh, for writing the book. Uh, uh, Charles Krauthammer, the late Charles uh wrote a book, Things that, that Matter. He also wrote the book about a list of his articles. The difference being that uh, Charles uh, was a public figure and a regular contributor to several TV networks, whereas I, uh, I am not a public figure. So I decided, when writing the book, to uh, tell my readers uh, about my life story so they could get a feel for you know who I am and what led to my conversion.
0: OK. So when did you come to the United States?
3: I came with my family legally as political refugees in uh, 1966. Okay. So practically all my life in the United States, although the 11 years that I spent in Cuba left good memories before Castro took over in 1959, as well as uh, bad memories after Castro reached power but my parents and my parents' generation were Republicans because they saw the uh, failure of the Bayo Pigs invasion in 1961 when John F. Kennedy was in the White House as a betrayal of the Cuban-Americans' uh, aspirations to restore freedom to Cuba. Because of that reason, they lean more Republican. That's my parents' generation. Okay. On the other hand, when I became uh, politically savvy, I lean more towards the Democratic side for the simple reason that when we came in 1966, uh, we took advantage of the Freedom Flights, uh, which was a program that was set up by President Lyndon Johnson. Who was a democrat so i thought that i owed a debt of gratitude to the democratic party for that reason but having you know having uh having said that alice when i became a uh, democrat my parents and my parents friends were angry at me because being a democrat was considered to be an anomaly within the cuban-american society When I became a Republican in 2014, Obama was in the White House. A lot of my Democrat uh, friends were angry at me. But, you know, I keep saying to all of them that life is a journey and you change as you uh, become exposed to different ideas different philosophers, different politicians. And if you remain the same static, you're a very boring person who's not in tune with, with what's happening out there. And, and furthermore, I, I also bring to a lot of them uh, who criticize me for becoming a Republican. I said, hey, keep in mind that uh, we have recent past presidents who were Democrats at one time. President Ronald Reagan and President Donald Trump were, at one time, Democrats. So they claim, just as I do, that the Democratic Party left them. They did not leave the party. The party left, the Democratic Party left them. And, and, And that sets it all.
0: So what was the turning point for you?
3: There were three things that triggered the conversion. The first one, I was fully aware of my parents' anger at uh, the Bay of Pigs fiasco in 1961. President Kennedy was a Democrat. The second one was when President Bill Clinton was in the White House and he returned Elian Gonzalez to Cuba, despite the fact that his mother had perished in a raft trying to get alien to the united states so that was strike number two to use a baseball analogy strike number three and the most crucial one was in december 2014 when president obama reached out an olive branch to the cuban government reestablished the uh, the embassies without requiring any human rights concessions in other words he was giving a lot A lot of economic benefits, a lot of trade benefits to Cuba. Cuba was not giving anything back to the United States. So the United States was negotiating from a position of strength. And I thought that it was unthinkable that President Obama did not uh, uh, exercise his strength to require human rights concessions.
0: I can understand that. I, I definitely can understand that. What, what is your motivation? What, what is it that you want the reader to do? To just think about these things?
3: What I want the, uh, the readers uh, to get from the book, several things. Number one, you know, I, I indicated that my inspiration was Charles Cronhammer's uh, book where he wrote all these articles to, to, to find out what led to my conversion from a Democrat to a Republican. Number two, I want to, to get the message across that today's Democrats have a socialist agenda where they want to undermine the founding principles of the United States. They want to undermine the Judeo-Christian principles, foundations of this country. And if, if they love this country for what it stood for, in the past, and what they want the country to stand for going forward as a uh, land of freedom, a land of liberty, a land of democracy, and they want to make their vote count. When they go to the voting uh, booth in 2024, I think that the, uh, the only uh, choice, the only alternative they have is to vote for Republicans.
0: Specifically, Donald Trump or any Republican? Uh,
3: you know, I, I myself voted for Donald Trump in 2016 and 2020. Uh, I will vote for whoever the Republican nominee is. If it's Donald Trump, I'll vote for Donald Trump again. If it's Ron DeSantis, my governor, whom I love dearly for the excellent uh, job that he's done, governing uh, the state of florida they now vote for governor DeSantis. but i think it is incumbent uh, for uh, americans who love what this country of ours stands for is to vote for republicans okay in the uh to to, in the oval office to uh, regain control republican control of the senate and to keep Republican control in the House of Representatives.
0: All right, Jorge, thank you so much. Thanks. Enjoy the rest of your day.
3: Okay, you too.